Well, you young folks probably never heard of Andrew Crouch, right? Some of us older ones did. But he was singing at a concert, and after he was done singing, the crowd got up and shouted, More! <laughs> More! And the preacher that preached after him said, He's just waiting for the people to do that when he preaches. <laughs> but wasn't that beautiful? I was standing back there and watching you young folks just minister to each other and that's so beautiful and uh, I believe that every it's God's intention for every generation to experience the Lord and revival and uh, I encourage you young folks to follow Jesus with all of your heart uh, years ago as a very young preacher you're a young man I went to uh, Lindale, Texas, and Leonard Ravenhill preached to a, a group of 40 men. And uh, one of the sayings that Leonard Ravenhill had is, You will never know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all that you have. And uh, uh, Daniel spoke the first day about how God sometimes strips us. And uh, in my messages on brokenness, when I've spoken about brokenness and how God deals with people, and uh, I want to say this, that young folks, be prepared for even after God has done some amazing things in your lives and he has uh, met you with the Holy Spirit, uh, don't be surprised when God begins to strip away some things and... uh, I've given the illustration of Daniel, and I'm sorry, the three Hebrew boys that went, um, that were in the book of Daniel. And the Bible says that um, the king was angry with them because he wanted them to bow. And he had made an image of himself, I believe it was, possibly of himself. And he said that if they don't bow down to this image, that they would be cast into the fiery furnace. And I always loved the response of those three men. They said, our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, know one thing. We will not bend. We will not bow down to this idol. In other words, they were very well... They understood and had a heart for what they were instructed, the commandment, thou shalt have no other God before me. And so therefore, because they bowed, they didn't bow, they didn't burn either. And uh, did you ever think of the fact that the only thing they lost in that fire was their bondages? There wasn't even a smell of smoke on their garments. But the amazing thing that the Lord revealed to me one time as I was preaching about that subject, never thought about it before, but nowhere in that scripture does it say that they knew that God was with them. They were only obedient to the commandment that God had given. But those that were outside of the furnace looking in, said, hey, there's someone in there with them. Those outside had a revelation of of Jesus. And even the wicked king himself that had given the commandment said, "Um, the fourth man is in there and he looks like the Son of God, which was a revelation of Christ. And so, when you experience revival, when you experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, when you experience those sweet things that Jesus did for you, uh, let me tell you, I'm not speaking theory this morning. I'm speaking my experience. There was a time in my young ministry, about a year or two after I was ordained in the ministry, I was living in Honduras, where God took me through a severe, severe failure and stripping. 
and is out of some of the things that God taught me in those first two years of my ministry that I want to speak about this morning. But I'd like for you to stand one more time. I'd like for you to bow your heads. I'd like for you to close your eyes and just for a moment quiet your emotions, your restlessness, the things that bothered you this morning or the things that you were struggling with. Just open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to speak to my need this morning. Anoint Brother Dan to speak to my need. And Lord, I open my heart. There's times when at our church at home, I just get the people to sing that little chorus that we learned in Bible school. Into my heart. Into my heart. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus. I wrote another verse to that that I never heard before. It's fill me with love. Fill me with love. Fill me with love, Lord Jesus. And then someone else said, there's another verse that somebody wrote that says, out of my heart, out of my heart, shine out of my heart, Lord Jesus. Listen, dear young folk, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our failures. It's not about our successes. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our talents. It's Him. Lord, this morning I pray in the name of Jesus that one more time, like you already have, you've met us today. You are here. You're here for the hungry. You're here for the hurting. You're here for the dry, for the empty. You're here for the bleeding. You're here for the thirsty. And Jesus, I just invite the presence of your Holy Spirit, send him to minister to every need. I pray, reach the one, Lord, that is the most needy, the one that is the most hopeless or feels in his heart that he's hopeless. Reach that person today with a touch of the love of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak about God's purpose for those who have failed. How many of you have failed? The rest of you will pray for you. Have you failed miserably? Sure. Have you fallen into sin that you didn't expect? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Have you just really gone through a day and you really felt like you really messed up. Yes, you have. As a very young preacher, I had experienced, as I shared this week, I had experienced the Holy Spirit. I had experienced Christ so close to me. I had experienced a an anointing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I had experienced things that I had never experienced before and I had been called of the Lord I was sitting on a log one time praying and I was reading a book by David Wilkerson and uh, it was a book where it's called some of you older ones probably have read it it's called set the trumpet to thy mouth and I read a little phrase where it said that America spends more money on dog food than they do on missions. And I don't know why or how God does this, but it was at that moment out in the woods behind my little mobile home where my wife and I lived in 1980. Oh my, I believe it was 84 or 85. I felt the call of God on my life to preach. And uh, the church that I was attending was a very conservative Mennonite church, and we 
flew to South America, and we had totally intended to uh, start a mission in South America because I grew up as a boy in Paraguay, and I, of course, learned Spanish as a very young man. And uh, so I was really passionate about missions and outreach and the burden that the Lord put on my heart, and it still burns today. Um, But about six months or a year after, my wife and I had made yard sale, and we had sold all of our possessions that we couldn't take along to Paraguay. We had built a box, a crate, and we had put on the address, and we were going to ship it to South America, and we were going to go do missions. And then, because of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, it split our church, and the whole mission program was trashed, in a sense. It was the first stripping that God took me through, just a crushing of my spiritual dream. And then later... In about 1989 and 90, we, not to bore you with a lot of detail, we moved to the country of Honduras. And while in Honduras, the events of the first years were very, very, very difficult. I was in a very difficult setting, and there was a lot of animosity against the message I was preaching. I was probably full of more zeal than wisdom. And looking back 30 years now, I say that Wow, God, you were so good to be so patient with me and to put me through so many fires to purify those things in my life. There was bondages in my life that I didn't know about. And you see, in one sense, uh, we all have blind spots. And if you would ask me, well, what are your blind spots? Well, if I would know what they are, they wouldn't be blind anymore, would they? And so that's why God arranges people, circumstances, and things to burn out those bondages, to deal with just like the three Hebrew boys. That's not just a beautiful story. That's truth. That's God's ways. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that says that he taught Moses his ways and his acts to the children of Israel. What was the difference? The 40 years that Moses spent in the wilderness, God was teaching him his ways. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, or let me say it right, your ways. In other words, the way you think as a human being, they're not my ways, says the Lord of hosts. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. In other words, I have got a complete different set of thoughts. And so God had to take Moses into the wilderness to teach him his ways. Moses, you're not going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt with the arm of flesh. Can you imagine how many years it would have taken him to kill all the Egyptians? Can you imagine how many undertakers it would have taken to bury them all? And God, like we say in Spanish, con un solo macanazo, that doesn't mean anything to you guys, with one swift whack, God destroyed the whole Egyptian army in the Red Sea. But before he could use Moses as an instrument to do that, he had to teach Moses his God's ways and to rely on his ways and to trust the Lord. And the time came when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Can you imagine what what he felt like? Well, this doesn't sound right. Lord, stretch out my hand over the sea with a rod. What's that going to do? But Moses had in 40 years been taught of silence, and it doesn't, see, doesn't say that he heard anything from God for 40 years. But when the, when the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush, the Bible says that uh, Moses turned aside to see this. I believe this was a personal revelation that God wanted to give to him, and it was his calling. But after 40 years of silence... God took Moses back into Egypt, and I won't, you know the story, but he used him, and he brought him to the place where he was the leader, and now, but first he had to deal with the arm of flesh. He had to deal with the zeal that was not clean, that was not godly. It was a zeal, it was a calling, it was something he wanted to do, 
but God had to purify it. And many times God through failure. If you look at the Bible from day one, the men that God used, Moses, murderer, David, an adulterer and a thief, Samson, look what he was. And on and on and on through the Bible, uh, you see men that had failed and had totally miserably messed up, but God still used them. When Daniel asked the first day, who are the people that you would like to sit down with and talk to if you don't want to take them to a coffee shop? Who are the ones in the Bible? There were three, three men that, or three people that came to my mind. One was Peter. Peter, why? Because Peter to me is an example of an amazing restoration after he had been so cocky and sure that all of the other disciples can leave you, Lord, but I won't leave you. I'll go with you all the way. And Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And can you imagine how Peter felt after denying his best friend, the one he walked with. In my case, it was the one that saved me. The one that filled me with the Holy Spirit. The one that called me to preach. I failed him. And in Peter, I have found such, amazing, uh, such an amazing story of God's plan of redemption. When I say redemption, I'm not only speaking about the first time he redeemed you from sin, but when you failed, when you've totally messed up after being a believer. Listen, young folks, I want to say to you as an example of a man that failed deeply in my first years of ministry. God has a wonderful plan for those of us who failed. God has an amazing plan of restoration. God has... And, and if you're here and you feel like, you know, one of the tricks of the devil is to say, well, you've, this time it was just too much. You went too far, and now you're, you might as well just quit. I want to say that's the lie of the enemy. Satan is a liar. He's like some politicians. You know when they're lying? Whenever their lips are moving. I said some politicians. Maybe most of them. I don't know. But whenever Satan speaks, it's a lie. He uses the word of God. I remember one time, right after I preached an, an anointed message in a revival meeting, Satan used a verse to just clobber me over the head. It wasn't that I had even preached about that verse, but Satan uses sometimes the scriptures to condemn. And let me say something. If anything I said this week brought condemnation to your heart, I'm really sorry. Because either I said it wrong or you heard it wrong. Because the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to minister that to you. And if you have sinned and you've failed, as we were praying for the young man up here, I thought, my, 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 if we could see Jesus right now in the flesh. He'd probably be weeping, and he'd be interceding. I don't know what all Jesus does. There's only two things that I know that the Scripture says that he is doing right now. One is, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When a Jewish boy would ask for a wife, he would go to the girl's father, a good principle to follow boys, to go to the girl's father and say, would you... Give me the honor of courting your daughter with the intention of marrying her. When a Jewish boy did that, and after the father and the mother gave a blessing, they had a betrothal ceremony. And then the boy would go back home to his father's house, and he would build his own house and make it ready for the wedding day when his, he would bring his bride home 
That's what Jesus is doing right now. One of the things he's doing. Do you know what the other thing is that he's doing? Anyone guess? He's interceding. Do you know that there's two 24-hour ministries going on all the time? All the time. The Bible says in the book of Revelations that Satan stands before God accusing you day and night, Josh, Jackie, Michael. He's accusing you day and night. Did you see what he just did? And you call him your son? Yeah, but I'm praying for him. Jesus says, Satan stands before God day and night accusing, but Jesus, the Bible says, he ever lives to make intercession. And I'll tell you something, if Jesus is praying for you, guess who's going to win? Not the devil. The kicker is that you have to believe that. You have to have faith that he's always in favor of you against the devil. That there's no sin that you have committed or can commit in the future that Jesus hasn't already made payment and provision for. And Satan does such a fantastic job of deceiving people into believing lies, into twisting the word of God into some billy club of condemnation. And so Jesus does those two things. He's preparing a place for you and I to live with him. I, I've been into some grand places. My wife and I visited England some time ago, about 10 years ago. And we went to, um, oh boy, what is that big building? can't remember the name, but it's huge. Uh, Yes. And uh, I, I stood at the grave where David Livingstone buried, right under those rocks there, right under the, the, the marble floor. And we saw a history that we had only read about. We saw it before our eyes. But you have seen nothing yet till you see the mansion that he's building for us in heaven. And I... I don't know if it's going to be a mansion, an edifice of that you can actually physically. I have no clue what heaven's going to be like. And a lot of people have had a lot of imagination, and that's all good. If you want to use your imagination, use it for good. But he's preparing a place for you, a place of security, a place of rest. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to have not even one inkling towards sin? You know, I'm a preacher and I've been serving the Lord for over 40 years. But there's still times when, when my flesh wants its own way and wants sin. This thing will never see God. But on the inside of me and in the, on the inside of you is a spiritual body that God has given you. He's given you a desire for righteousness. He's given you a desire to... He's dressed your inner man with a robe of righteousness. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah said... I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with a robe of righteousness and he's given me the garments of salvation. And I've said, you know, some sisters and guys spend a half hour before they go to church to prepare their outward man. But I mean, how, much, how much time did you spend to dress up the inner man this morning before you came to the meeting? You see, it's that inner man that, that is getting ready and getting dressed with a garment of spotless white that was made white with the blood of Jesus. And God's plan for redemption for anyone. If you're here this morning and your garment has been stained and spotted with sin, if you've fallen into sexual immorality, you know, I said something that the Holy Spirit just corrected me a little bit. I said something the other day that the Holy Spirit just, you know, as a preacher, I'm always very sensitive that, Lord, if I leave those young folks, if I leave them with a little bit of a taste that is not your heart, then, Lord, help me to correct them. That's why it's a blessing to preach at least three or four times in a week because you've got an opportunity to correct what you said that might have been just a bit wrong or taken wrong. 
But I said that that girls keep yourself pure, that the boys won't want somebody that has defiled herself. I was using that as an illustration of us keeping ourselves pure before Jesus Christ. And when he's coming back, he's coming back for a a spotless bride. But I want to qualify that and say that girls or boys, if you have sinned or failed morally and sexually, God has a plan for that. It's the blood of Jesus. And take it from a man that was married. I'm still married, but I was married back when I failed. I came to the doorsteps of adultery in my first years of ministry because of a bitterness and an anger in my heart about a division that came into the church. And I was consumed with a with first hurt, and then hurt became bitterness, and then I got angry. And when you're in that condition, you have absolutely no tools to fight Satan. And so God in his love and mercy arranged a failure. God stopped me before I actually fell into the act of adultery. But oh, it was in my heart. I struggled with lust and I struggled with this thing. And it was not something that was premeditated. It was just a quick, swift blow of failure. And the first thing I did was humble myself and go to my wife. And I remember kneeling at her feet and just crushed. I can't believe what I just did. I can speak about it now, but it was years before I had the grace to speak about it. But I can speak about it now because, and I'm only, I only speak at, about this when I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to give someone hope that might be hopeless. But I'm not here to speak about the details of, of my failure and stuff, but I'm only here to say that by the grace of God, I am who I am, and God brought me back from that deep breaking. But when the Lord pulled back the curtain and showed me the purpose of that, he showed me that I had some bondages and there was some pride. Oh, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, pride is the sin that will always trip you up. You don't have to have a demon to fall into sin. If you have pride, the Lord himself is against you. And that's the condition that my heart was. There was pride there. What got peeved or hurt in me was pride. And so the Lord arranged this failure like he did with Peter. Peter was one of those, is one of those men that I would like to sit down with and speak to. Peter, how was it? How was it when you were stripped and peeled of your own self-righteousness and of your own cocky, sure thought where you thought, man, all the other guys, <laughs> yeah, they can leave you, Jesus, but I won't. And then after you three times, he cursed and he swore to the servant girl and said, I don't know this man. But Peter, how was it when you stripped and peeled, you climbed maybe on hands and knees to that upper room where the Holy Ghost met you? How did you feel going up? How did you feel when you decided, I'm just going to go back fishing? I've gone through all of that. I remember just wanting to end it all rather than face the shame and the humiliation of my failure and the humiliation of resigning as a pastor, missionary pastor, when I thought I was going to save the country of Honduras and there was going to be a great revival. You know, God had revival in store, but revival for me. And he brought it through failure. The Bible says that um, Peter... You know, God, Jesus asked him then three times, you know, it wasn't over for Peter because, yes, he had failed, but Jesus, in essence, was saying, I still have a plan for you. Feed my sheep. But he climbed into the upper room where he, I I say, he probably dragged himself up there with faith, and the Holy Spirit came on him, and Peter was restored, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he was anointed And Peter became a mighty vessel and a powerful witness for the Lord. But first, he had to be broken with failure. And I'm here to give you much hope this morning. 
The devil might be working overtime and telling you that it's over, that you will never, ever once uh, come back to full restoration. I want to say to you, those are lies of the devil. And it is faith in the power of restoration that God can restore you back to a condition that is much better than before. You know, down through the Bible you will find God's plan for restoration in so many men. Uh, And did you ever think of the fact that in the lineage of Jesus there's Rahab the harlot, there's Ruth, a, a girl that was not a Jewish girl, and the Bible says that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was the one that ate with sinners. And one of the wonderful principles of the New Covenant that I like to preach and teach to people is that instead of Jesus getting soiled and dirty when he walked and talked with thieves and robbers and sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and publicans and maybe even some republicans, I don't know, but Jesus was never soiled and dirtied by them, but they were cleansed with the grace of Jesus within him. I told a a couple young folks back there in the little huddle we had after the service yesterday that one of the things of the new covenant that God's taught me is I don't become dirty by going to a bar. Now, the motive of why I'm going would surely make me dirty, wouldn't it now? But if I go in to minister to somebody, if my intention is to go in, if my motive is pure, then... God will protect me as I walk in holiness and righteousness. It's not the things on the outside of me that can contaminate me, but it's the things that I allow in my heart. And it was those things that defeated me in my first years of ministry. I allowed anger and bitterness in my heart. And then along come the other train and just railroaded me. And so if you're here this morning and you're dealing with a spirit of fear or a spirit of death or whatever stronghold of the enemy it is, I want to say to you in Jesus' name, there's tremendous hope God has a plan for you even though you failed. The problem is we're so quick to believe the lies that Satan speaks to our mind. And I want to speak to you a little bit about faith. Faith is such a powerful thing. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of that which I hope for and the evidence of that which I don't see. The substance of what I hope for and the evidence of... what, what, What is the evidence that you want to see in your life? You want to see victory in your life? You want to see... You want to see grace in your life? Faith is how you get it. Faith is reaching out the hand and says, Lord, I believe what your promise is for me. If you're dealing with boys, if you're dealing with pornography or girls, it doesn't matter. We're broken people without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God is a God of restoration. You know, let me tell you a little story. Here about two years ago, I was driving down the highway a little close to where we lived. And I saw this old house, ugly old yellow house where I live now. And uh, we had decided to sell our big property and because it was so much work. It was a beautiful place, but it was too much work. And I traveled a lot, so I didn't want to be spending all my time trimming bushes and mowing lawn while I'm at home. But I saw this old house that was sitting beside the road and there was a sign in the in the lawn that said, for sale, cash. And it was really, really cheap. And I thought, oh, wow. I'll go check this out. Well, I went inside the house. The house looked terrible. But I pulled up the carpet. It was an ugly old red, dusty, trashy-looking carpet. Dirty, filthy. Well, there's a bunch of adjectives that I could use to describe the carpet. But I pulled up the carpet, and there was this beautiful hardwood floor covered up. It just needed restoration. I bought the house, and the house looks better than it ever did before. I'll guarantee you that. But there was a work of restoration that my wife and I did, spent many hours working on the house. We restored it. It looks better than it did when we bought it. That's exactly what the blood of Jesus can do for you. But you have to believe that that is possible for you. You see, it's easy for us to believe it for someone else. So you see somebody express uh, 
and give a testimony of victory. And you say, oh, wow, what a testimony. Yes, hallelujah. But do you believe it for you? You see, if you believe it for you, it makes a change in your life. Second Peter says that the Apostle Peter said, we didn't follow, follow cunningly devised fables when we knowed, made known to you the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he saying? He's saying, we didn't have famous stories. We didn't use psychological tri- tricks, and we didn't u- use malip- manipulation when we made we saw what Jesus could do, and he did it for us. And it is faith when you see that someone has been tremendously changed by the power of God. When you have faith for yourself, that is why we give testimonies. It's to build the faith to glorify God and to build the faith of others and to put hope in their hearts. And I want to tell you, if I ever had felt hopeless, it was that drive from San Pedro Sula to Guaymaca when I decided, you know, when I thought, boy, the easiest thing here would be just just end it all. There's this big old ravine where many vehicles, you know, not by choice but by mistake got off and went down a thousand feet into a ravine. And I, the thought hit me, well, if I would just end it all, I wouldn't have to face the shame and all of this. But I thank God that he gave me the grace to humble myself and he restored me. There's another verse in the book of Peter that says that we have been made partakers of a divine nature. Not by keeping rules. You know, some of you were parts of churches that were so full of rules that they ran out of their ears, right? And you've figured out that it's not by keeping rules that you're made righteous. But it's by believing promises. It's by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And I remember when God spoke to my heart after I humbled myself and I confessed, first of all, my sin to my wife. I didn't cover it. The Bible says he that covers his sin will never prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, then God will have mercy on you. So I did that. And I started a road of a year of breaking. And it was a hard, hard year. But it was the best year of my life because it was also the year of my restoration. The Bible says in 2 Peter that we are partakers of that divine nature of God by these exceeding great and precious promises. And the Bible is full of these exceeding great and precious promises. And I'm going to read some of them at the end of, end of, I'm just speaking from memory of verses that the Lord is laying on my heart by the Holy Spirit to build your faith. And at the end, possibly we'll have a time where you can just come to the Lord and say, Lord, maybe your problem is this big or maybe your problem is this big. I really don't care to God. It's all a piece of cake. He can deal with it because he made provision. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross and when he said, it is finished, it's exactly what he meant. The payment for my sin and my failure was made. He didn't pay half of my bill. He paid the whole bill. Philippians says that he took our sins and our disobediences and our rebellions and our lawlessness, and he nailed it to the cross. And he made a display openly for the kingdoms and principalities and powers of darkness. And he said, look what I just did. Ooh, Satan, you got your butt kicked, like the lady on War Room says. More than his rear kick, the Bible says he squashed him under his feet. And he made provision for every defeat and every sin you and I could ever have committed. I remember in Honduras that after the failure and after repentance and before um, I was asked by my superiors to take a year off of ministry and I, I thought it was all over. They didn't tell me a year, but that's what it ended up being. But I was kneeling at the bench there in that little church in Guaymaca 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And for nine months, there was only one verse that ministered to me. There was no ten steps to victory. There was no counseling session. It was just breaking after breaking after breaking, weeping in my bedroom. We moved back to the United States. And in my bedroom, I would sob. And I remember there was the one time when I uh, got the my ordination certificate out of my closet and I got out and I'm, I'm going to send this back to the pastors that ordained me and say, I'm done. I felt like Peter. I'll just go back fishing. I was a truck driver. I was a hardwood floor installer. I had a lot of capabilities that I could have done. But I pulled out my ordination certificate and I looked at it. And I looked at the vows that I made, and it broke me. And I sat there on the floor beside my bed, and I said, Lord, I can't go back, and I can't go forward. What am I going to do? And again, I broke. That was the sequence for about six months. But God spoke one verse that ministered to me. That was before this all started. And it was in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Where David, it's either first or second if you want to write it down and look it up. Where David had numbered Israel and he had so miserably failed. And the prophet came to him and he gave him a choice. Either you run from your enemies for three months or you have three days of pestilence or I forget what the other one was. But God gave him three choices and David in his brokenness, he said, Lord, don't let me fall into the hands of my enemies because... And let me fall into the hands of the Lord because you're merciful, God. You're merciful. And so you know what happened? There were three days of pestilence. And because of David's sin, 14,000 people died. I don't know about you, but if I would have been the pastor of that church and 14,000 people would have died, I would have been about ready to chuck it too. And the Bible says that David bought that threshing floor of Onan where the angels stopped the, the destruction. And it said, it says that David took, he went to Onan's threshing floor, he bought the place, and Onan said, hey, hey, you can have my oxen for a sacrifice and you can have the cart for wood. And David said, I'm not going to offer to the Lord something which costs me nothing. Listen this morning. God doesn't want to sacrifice from you that doesn't cost anything. He's not looking for some cheap little commitment of yours. He's not looking for a commitment cheap that says, Lord, if you bless me, I'll serve you. But he's looking for a commitment that says, freeze me or burn me. Do whatever you want with me, I'll serve you. If you give me a place of nothingness where I'm nothing for the rest of my life, that's fine. Let me serve you. Let me have your presence within me. Let me have your anointing. Let me have your grace. Let me have victory over sin. God's looking for a commitment that is costly. And I read that, and the Bible says that David took, he bought the oxen and the steers and the, and the, the carts and the threshing floor, and he made an altar and it says that when David had built the altar and he had put the sacrifice on the altar, fire came down from heaven. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Son, all I'm asking of you is lay yourself on the altar and become a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He doesn't want just your heart. Modern evangelism will tell you, give your heart to Jesus. He wants your body. He wants your tongue. He wants your eyes. He wants your ears. He wants your feet. He wants your hands. Put it all on the altar. And what the Holy Spirit ministered to me that day in 1991 is, Son, if you will make of your life an altar of a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, when the time is right, the fire of God, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, will come back on your life. He didn't promise me an easy life. He didn't promise me that I would be restored to ministry. He didn't promise me anything. He just said, make a living sacrifice of your life. Surrender your will to God. Give me everything. 
And oh, ladies and gentlemen, that's what I did. In brokenness, in failure, in heartache, in shame. I know all of those. I camped there for six months. I made a sacrifice. And then I'd lay myself on the altar again and again. And I'd die again. But oh, hallelujah. One night, the Holy Ghost came back. And he came back better than ever before. With a greater anointing, with a deep passion, with a gentleness that wasn't there before, with a humility that I didn't even dream was possible. The cockiness was gone, the arrogance, the pride. You know, the problem with many people's revival is it's so cocky. They're so arrogant. Not revival. And if God loves you, he will spank you hard. And he will. And God restored me. And one year later, I was back in the same place. Because my elders said, Son, you've done an amazing job of humbling yourself. And you've been an example to us. We want to restore you back. That was not something I did. That was something God did through my elders. What am I saying? Listen. I'm just sharing this not because I really enjoy to speak of my past failures. But I've decided to give you hope. That if you're sitting here this morning and you've miserably failed. And you think it's over. Or if you have some besetting sin in your life that you've wept and you've prayed to the Lord for victory. I want to say to you that it's faith in an almighty God that is able to save to the uttermost. I want to read a couple scriptures of promise that the Lord laid on my heart this morning. Go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. You know, one of the beautiful things of the new covenant is that there are so many promises that God gives to us and it's, it, it hinges on what He says He will do for us. Ezekiel 36. And if you read Ezekiel before that, you will hear a, a lot of God's uh, judgment against Israel for their sin and for their failure. And look at what he says in Ezekiel 36. In verse, I'm going to start in verse 24. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I want you to focus on I will, what God says he will do. I will take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for grain and multiply and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. God here is ministering hope to the children of Israel after failure, after so much defeat. God is saying to them, I'm going to do all of this for you. And I'm going to take you from your iniquity. 
I'm going to take that stony heart out of you. And I'm going to put a new heart within you. And you will be my people. And I will be your God. There's another one in the book of Joel. Go to the book of Joel. If you read the book of Joel, the beginning of the book of Joel, there's a lot of things that God says to the children of Israel. There's judgment, and everything sounds kind of like judgment and, and evil for them. But look at these wonderful promises. Joel chapter 2. When the Lord promises deliverance, he says, So rejoice, verse 23, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust and the stripping locust and the gnawing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am, that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God. And there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. It will come about at this time that I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants. I will pour my Spirit out in those days. What the Lord is promising to you and I, is after we've failed and all of these old covenant promises to Israel are a type of the new covenant promise that God has given to us. Restoration of the defeat that we lived in our lives. The forgiveness of sin. Listen, young people. It doesn't take God some long, drawn-out process to set you free. Let me tell you the story of the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You've read the story. But have you ever seen the truth of the story and believed it for yourself? That if I just reach out and touch the hem of His garment, the Bible says that she had spent all of her money with physicians. When I preached about this in Kenya... I told them she probably went to the medical doctor. She probably went to the witch doctor. She probably went to the juju doctors, like we would say in in Paraguay. In other words, she spent everything she had. Her bank account was down to zero. And then she heard about Jesus. And she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment. What was that? It was faith. The problem is we make it so difficult. We think we have to go through... Ten weeks of counseling or counseling is fine if the guy or the girl that is giving it is spirit-filled and knows how to lead you to Jesus. But oh, nothing can replace faith in what God said he will do. Just a simple faith. I am always blessed by the little girl that was taken captive into the land of Israel when Naaman, the mighty warrior, was sick. And the little girl said, if you would just go see the prophet in Israel, you would be healed. Twelve years old. She didn't have a Ph.D. in psychology or she didn't have any education. She didn't go through Dallas Theological Seminary or Cemetery. (laughs) She had faith. She believed the word. Listen, young folks. It's faith in what God says for you. Faith in the promise that He gives to you. 
It's faith in his powerful word. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. You can come with your works. You can come with your goodness. You can come with all of the things. You can come with your pedigree. You can come with your PhD, your post hole digger, whatever you want to call it. But when you come to God with faith, he sees and he rewards those who diligently seek him. When somebody says, I believe that Jesus died for my failure on the cross. I believe that he died for my rebellion. I believe that he died for my witchcraft. I believe that he died for my demonic oppression. I believe that he died for my fear. When Jesus died on the cross, he stepped on Satan's head and he crushed him and he defeated him. When Jesus died on the cross and he proclaimed it is finished, it was finished. There was no demon that could ever stand against him anymore. And it's faith in that Jesus Christ that will set you free and deliver you from every bondage. But you've got to believe it. It hinges on your faith. When Jesus healed people in in the New Testament, he would say over and over again to them, according to your faith, so be it unto you. In other words, nothing can replace faith. Works will not get you healing. Works will not get you deliverance from sin. Works will not make you righteous before God. It is faith in what Jesus did on the cross that makes you righteous before God. I'm coming back here. So it's real. As real as I can make it to you. It is your faith that pleases him. And he looks into the heart of somebody that is so weak in faith. There was one guy that said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've done that. And there have been times in my life when I faced such obstacles and such difficulties. I said, Lord, I, I, I want to believe. <laughs> Lord, I, I, there's so much unbelief in my heart. I want to believe what you said is true for me. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Romans that says, For with the heart man believes for salvation, and with the mouth confession is made. That is a simple remedy that I can give to you this morning, my dear, dear young folks. You believe it in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth. There have been times over and over again where the Lord has taught me that principle. Not just the first time I got converted, not just the first time I prayed for salvation, but other times when there was strongholds and things of unbelief in my heart and my life that were too big for me. Mountains that were ahead of me as a shepherd, as a pastor. There was a mountain here a couple years ago that my co-minister and I prayed. We were standing on a mountain. We were praying. There was this black cloud that was up there in the sky on an absolute clear cloudless sky except for one big black cloud. And as we were praying, I saw it with my own eyes. All of a sudden, there was a black cloud that was formed up there. And I'm not one to have all kinds of manifestations and miraculous things, but the one thing I believe that the Lord permitted me to see that for, there was a situation in our fellowship that I knew could be a very difficult thing to deal with and could make great division. But as we were praying, all of a sudden, that black cloud just separated and evaporated. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Son, I've got this. You don't have to do nothing. And I believed God. And you know what? I waited for about a year or two, and God did exactly what He said He would do. And this problem in our fellowship that only a few people knew about, that could have caused great division, God gave me the faith to believe that all I need to do is stand still and watch him fix it. And I'll tell you something. When he fixes it, it's fixed. It's good. You need something fixed in your life? Not fixed, restored. But you know what I mean. You need restoration of salvation in your life? Did Satan steal your joy? Did Satan steal your peace? Whatever it was, he stole. God's promise to you is, I will restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. I will restore to you what Satan tricked you into disobedience. Sure, we were all tricked into disobedience. I can say of sinners, I'm chief. I don't think there's many of you that failed God so many times because you haven't lived so long. (laughs) 
But I've also seen that he's a covenant-keeping God. And he's kept his promises. There's a few promises that I'm still praying about, but I believe them because he told me that he would do it. I've not seen it come to pass, but I believe it. And I rest on his promise. Not my performance. Not even my obedience. But on his promise. You know, we're men and women of failure. If we would be perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus now, would we? You see, these self-righteous Pharisees that... Jesus dealt with. Jesus told them, because you say that you see, therefore your sin remains. You know, the greatest tragedy in a person's life is if we don't see our need. And sometimes our blindness is so blind that we can't see our need. Therefore, God says, sorry, can't help you because you don't see any need in your life. And Jesus, when he was speaking to the Pharisees and they were so angry at him for healing on the Sabbath, they were angry at him for not keeping the law. They were angry at him for daring to defy the customs and the traditions of men. And they were angry at him because he ate with the prostitutes and sinners. They were angry at him because he didn't stone or he didn't condone the stoning of the woman that was caught in adultery. But Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. The ones that are whole, they don't need a doctor. It's the sick ones. So if you're here this morning and you're sick or you have a need or you're defeated, Jesus came for you and he'll meet you if you'll stretch out your hand and say, Lord, I believe. I believe every promise. Maybe it's not defeat that you're dealing with. Maybe some deep desire in your heart. Some deep desire to know Him. You can bring that to Him too. And He said, look at what the verse says. You will seek Me And find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Uh, Jim Elliott said, cold suitors like cold, I'm sorry, cold prayers like cold suitors. You know what a suitor is? A guy that goes after a girl. Cold hearted prayers like cold suitors are very seldom successful in their aim wholehearted prayers. You know, this is more than just a nice little motto that you hang on your church wall. It's the truth. And God says, if you seek for me with all of your heart, my your healing, your restoration, the promises that you so much want. You know, the, the, the worst thing for a preacher to believe in his church that everybody is fine and that everybody's just walking in victory and everybody's just fine. And even worse than that is a group of people that are ho-hum bored and slopping their way through life. They will seldom... You know, there was a bunch of unbelievers that died in the wilderness A friend of mine said he went to the wilderness and he said he saw no monument for any one of those. But Joshua and Caleb, two men that believed God took them into their promised land. Out of 600,000 men, besides women and children, maybe they had a dozen children each. I think they had big families. That was a big group of people. Out of 600,000 men, nobody... 20 years and over, got into that land. But it was because of unbelief. Unbelief is the sin that makes God cry. That's what Jesus wept over. 
in Jerusalem, unbelief. Oh, my dear brother and sister, repent of your unbelief and believe God for every restoration. Unbelief is many times, I like to say that unbelief is an intellectual thing and faith is a heart thing. And when you have an argument between what your mind says and what your heart says, go with what the heart says. Believe in your heart. David said, Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin. So if you're here this morning, I encourage you to reach out your hand in faith and let God restore the years of failure, or if you're here and you're asking God for a miracle in your life, I'm not talking some manifestation that blows the roof off of this place, but I'm talking about a new covenant miracle of a change of heart. God will do it for the one that simply believes. I'm just going to get you to bow your heads and As you wait, I'm going to get one of the moderators of the meeting to come up and to take it from here. Just have a moment of silence and let God speak to your heart.